Good morning, Willow Park Church family. Welcome to Church Online. I'm glad you can join us today. Uh, We're going to have a wonderful message as we continue our Daniel series. We're going to be able to enter into worship, and we're going to have family news, of course. And so we're excited that you can join us and uh, worship with us in your homes. Um, Before I pass it off to Chris and the band, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can continue to gather. Lord, even though this looks different, Lord, as we sit in our homes and as we uh, worship as families and individuals, but knowing corporately that there's other individuals worshiping in their homes, Lord, it still rises up to you, Lord, and is a beautiful sound. And Lord, we pray, Lord, as we listen to this message on Daniel, and as we are continued challenged to, to be in the world but not of it, Lord, that we would be able to take nuggets from Daniel and apply it to our personal lives. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are alive, you are well, or that we can enter in worshiping, worshiping you in our homes. And so we pray that your presence will be with us and your peace upon us as we enter into Sunday morning. Amen. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God your voice you have led me through the fire the darkest nights you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God So, 
so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness
Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart, I know that while in Heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the child. Is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look at him and pardon me. Behold him there. Spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is rich with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior. My Savior and my God With Himself I cannot die The soul is purchased by His blood My life is rich with Christ on high Christ my Savior and my God With Christ my Savior and my God
store something new each day. And God, I want to live each day as its own day. 
because you worry about tomorrow. And I thank you for having tomorrow and worrying about it for us. You are good. We love you. Pray this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, We're going to continue now worshiping through communion. So I invite you to go grab your bread and your juice. And as you do that, I'm just going to share um, a bit about communion before we partake. Um, This year, obviously, we're entering into New Year. 2021 is upon us. And you know what? When we come to 2021, we're always focusing on new things. We're trying to think, like, what else can I do in my life? What are the resolutions I make? And obviously, we enter into 21 days of prayer. What communion does, it helps us refocus back on the mission of Christ. He came for us to be that sacrifice, to be that in-between for a relationship between us and God. And his mission was to unite us to God. And he came as the ultimate sacrifice for that. And as we take this, as we take of our bread and the body that was broken, and as we drink of our juice, remember his blood poured out for us, it helps us to remember the mission that we are called to do. That we are to be living sacrifices in this world. That we are to go out and be missional. That we are to carry out the love of Christ and share it with others. To bring other, others into a relationship with Christ. So that they now can have this relationship with God. So communion helps us refocus back on the mission. Refocus back on what this life is about. To remember the goodness of God. He's sending his son to be that sacrifice for us, to be that love sacrifice that we desire. And so let's take a moment and think about what being back on mission looks like for us for 2021. I know we're still in this space of pandemic, but that doesn't mean Christ isn't moving and doing something. Father, we partake of your body that was broken for us. For me, for my neighbor, for everyone in this world. Broken so we can have a relationship with you, Jesus, and be connected to God. Let's partake together. Jesus, this is your blood poured out for us. That when God looks down, he sees his son, the blood of his son upon us. As followers of you, Lord, we we go to others and we share of you so they can accept you and so that they can experience the body and blood of you, Jesus. So we take this in remembrance of you. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. And Lord, the mission doesn't stop there. It's continuing on. Lord, we are living sacrifices now. We are images of you, Jesus. Lord, we want to remember the mission. We want to remember what you've done for us. We want to remember what we're called to do and carry it out in this world. So as we look at this year, 2021, let's look at it through the eyes that we're still on mission and remember your body broken for us. Amen. Now we're going to go off to Courtney and our family news. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us at Church Online. Here is your family news. We now have another option for those of you who would like to attend a drive-in church service every Sunday at Church at 33. Next Sunday, we will have two drive-in services at 10.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. for Pursuit. There is no pre-registration required, but we will be limiting each service to 50 vehicles as per provincial health guidelines. We look forward to seeing you there.
Our kids team is hosting a fun family paint night this Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. on Zoom. It's totally free and you can get all the details on our website at willowparkchurch.com paint. Registration is now open for the marriage course, which is a series of seven sessions designed to help couples invest in their relationship and build a strong marriage. The course will start in the last week of January, and there are six days and times to choose from. It will be hosted by some of our own pastors and leaders, and each session is like a date night for you and your spouse. If you're interested in learning more, please sign up on our website at willowparkchurch.com marriage. Right now, our church is in the middle of 21 days of prayer. If you haven't already found a way to participate, let me tell you what we have going on. First, you can sign up for our daily prayer devotional emails. Second, you can join us for an online prayer gathering every day at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday. You can also submit your prayer requests to us on our website so we can pray for you. Learn more about all of these things at willowparkchurch.com 21 days. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Welcome to Willow Park Church and thank you Jeremy for leading us in communion. I'm so grateful for that and I'm delighted to be able to move on and teach Daniel chapter 2. Now let me explain a couple of things just as we get into Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to attempt to deal with Daniel chapter 2 in two sessions. Just feeling that a 45-minute long sermon last week was a little long, although I personally enjoyed it myself. But I always uh, enjoy just talking about God's Word and, and expounding the truth of Scripture. So I'm going to look at Daniel 2 in two parts, this week and next week. Uh, and as we look at it, <coughs> I'm going to spend some time working our way through the concepts and the ideas and the theological truths that are firmly found within Daniel 2. Now before we do that, uh, let's jump right back into a, uh, a couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all, Daniel 1, of course, deals with the exile. It deals with the young noblemen of Jer- Jerusalem and of Judea that were taken away as a tribute, as a payment, along with the gold and the silver from the temple and all of the wealth of Judah was being stripped away by the rulers of Babylon. And a part of that stripping away was, of course, to take Daniel and his three friends. And these Jewish young men went and they found themselves in the massive, incredible uh, city of Babylon. Babylon was so big, it was full of gardens and palaces, it had been built up. It had 250 towers that were around it. It was on two sides of the great river Euphrates. It was remarkable, it was glorious, it had temples. It was like, I don't know, it was like living in a place like... Oh, what shall I say? I'm going to offend somebody if I say something. It's like living in Beaverdale and suddenly you find yourself in Vancouver. Or it's like living in Kelowna and you find yourself in the centre of Paris or London or New York. It is, it is that kind of difference. They went from something that was quite small, a local kingdom that was strategically placed on the Fertile Crescent between the three great roads that came from the north, came from Egypt and came from Arabia. That was the strategic position of Israel, perfectly placed there in the land. Well, they had then been taken to, uh, to Babylon. And there they had to discover all that God was going to do with them and understand. And of course, there they discovered that really the truth is that Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control. But the truth is, is that God is the one that is ultimately in control. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the one with the power and yet the scriptures show us that God is the one with the power. How did uh, Judea end up there? Of course about a hundred years or so earlier 
uh, Israel, the ten northern tribes, had been obliterated by Sargon II, who came down and was annoyed with the kings of Israel and was frustrated and basically deported the ten tribes and took them right the way across, probably to somewhere on the border of the Iraq-Iranian border, where they relocated them. There is some debate about that. But they were there basically because Israel, Judah to be specific, their rebellion against God, their love of idols of foreign gods. They got there because of their disobedience to God. They got there because they had abandoned Yahweh. And so these young boys find themselves caught in the uh, palace of um, of the rulers of Babylon, and they have to learn to become wise. They have to give their lives over to God. And there's this dance that takes place between the wisdom of God and navigating the culture of Babylon. And Daniel becomes the incarnation, the very image of wisdom navigating within culture. He was able through his words through his attitude, through his willingness to allow God. And there he engages in what was probably a three-year Daniel fast, as it's known. That part of his life that he handed over to God and for three years he did not eat the rich food and meats and wine and spirits of Babylon, but he ate vegetables. Basically, leeks. Now, I don't know if you like leeks, but basically he ate leeks. You imagine, I mean, there were no potatoes. Potatoes hadn't been discovered until, what, Christopher Columbus went all the way to South America. It wasn't like he was having French fries all the time. No, they were eating leeks and those kind of vegetables that we all love to hate. And he ate those leeks, he ate those vegetables that were grown in Babylon, and there God prospered him. And I often think that, that Daniel's discernment and wisdom was, of course, birthed out of his prayer life, praying three times a day. It was birthed out of his fasting and praying, out of giving the food to God and honoring God and allowing God to work, which gave him that spiritual dimension to seek God, to know God, and to know God's power in his life. And Daniel would spend 66 years in Babylon. He would see the rise and the fall of the Babylonian Empire. He would see the rise of the Medes and the Persians. And he would experience this and would become a wise man, an influencer. In many ways, Daniel's story is a lot like Joseph, isn't it? Even chapter 2, which we're going to deal with for a few minutes as we step into it, deals with the idea of a, a major problem and a major difficulty. So let's open up with a few, but take time to read the chapter through. There's, I think there's 42 verses. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream and that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell us, your servants, the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what the dream, dream was and interpret it, I will cut you into pieces and your houses will be turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, 
I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me and misleading in wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered, there is no one on earth who can do what the king has asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked a thing of the magicians and enchanters and the astrologers. What the king is, is asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live amongst humans. A powerful story. And of course, many of you will know the dream. And we're, the dream is about a great uh, grotesque statue that is stood there. And it's a statue of gold with a head of gold, with a chest of silver, with a torso of bronze, with legs of iron. And there uh, with feet of clay mixed with iron, representing the empires and the kingdoms that will come. Representing the empires that will rise up and will fall down. And of course, in that dream, there comes a, a rock. And this rock, which is not made from human hands like the empires of the world, will smash will utterly, like a wrecking ball, will come into all of these um, these empires, and at the end of the day, there will be a kingdom that will reign forever. But let's back up for a moment and let's talk about this. As we think about it, let's remind ourselves that really this whole chapter is about the wisdom and the power of God. And what I want to remind you straight off is what the Apostle Paul wrote, that God's wisdom is the best. The foolishness of God is wiser uh, the man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. In other words, what you realize is that God's wisdom and God's truth and God's revelation is the only way to live our lives. And friends, so many people try and live their lives in their own knowledge, in their own wisdom. And yet the Lord has given us the beauty of scripture. The Lord has given us the power of scripture to change our lives and to transform us. And within scripture, there is the revelation of what God has revealed to humanity and the power of scripture to change lives. And I think this chapter shows, again, Daniel's dependence upon the revelation and the wisdom of God within his life. He was a man that listened to God. He was a man that sought after God. And of course, we begin in Daniel with the first 16 verses with what we like to think of as the problem. The problem is this. Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. Have you ever had a dream? I certainly have had dreams. Have you ever had those dreams that really trouble you, that really bother you? I've had, I have a certain I wouldn't say it's recurring. I haven't had it in a long time. But when I was a young preacher, traveling and preaching, I used to have a dream that I was in a packed hall. And they would introduce me to come and to speak. And as I stood there, I would start preaching. And in this packed hall, I'd start to preach. And as I started to speak, I would start stumbling over my words. I would trip over my sentences. And inside I could feel that my, my mouth was becoming dry and my tongue was growing and I couldn't get my words out. And the pages of my Bible became bigger and bigger. This is a disturbing dream. And as the pages became bigger and my voice and my, my mouth and my tongue dried out, it started to resemble like a, a cow, like the face of a cow and, and and, and my tongue was, was dribbling. This is not a fun dream. <laughs> People started to leave the, the hall. 
And as they started to leave the hall, I'd be preaching and then I'd feel the anxiety of people leaving and going in different directions. And after a while, I'm preaching, my tongue is hanging out, I'm turning the pages of the Bible, I'm feeling the weight of it. Of course, I'm having a stress dream. It's not a spiritual dream, it was a stress dream. And at the end, there was one old lady sat in the congregation, looking at me with her beady eyes, just standing there going, That is a disturbing dream. I won't tell you the rest of it, but I looked down, I realized that I didn't anyway have my trousers on. That is a proper stress dream. Now, of course, dreams begin with a scenario, they create a problem, and often they have a level of anxiety and worry about them. Seems to be the way that our minds are are kind of wired, that we go often in many of our dreams to the worst case scenario. But here is a dream, and it has troubled in our first verses. We notice that it has, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. This dream completely troubled him. It was a problem. And he came to his, um, his astrologers, his magicians, And he spoke to them and he said, I've had this dream. I've had this problem. Now, for many people that read chapter 2, the mistake they make in reading chapter 2 is this. Is that we think that chapter 2's message is really about the statue and the kingdoms. And so we apply the lens of what we call eschatology. We apply the lens of, of the future of the end times to this chapter. Now, next week, I will apply the lens and I will explain to you the breakdown of the statue and how the debate theologically rages over this. But the real point of chapter 2 is this. There is a problem with the dream and Daniel will need to step in. But the problem with the dream... And the message of the chapter is this, that God is in control of history. Period. God is in control of history. Yes, the rulers of of modern day empires today might think they're in control of history. Yes, the rulers like Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and Darius thought that they were in control and thought they were gods. The pharaohs of Egypt thought they were in control. But the message of chapter 2 is clear. History happens, but God is in control of history. Does that not comfort you today? Does that not comfort you when 21,000 troops are on the streets of Washington? Does that not comfort you when you see the turmoil within the world and you see the different strains of the virus and the different variants rising up from nowhere, from Brazil now, from South Africa, the British variant? Sorry about that. Sorry. The British variant that rises up. God is in control of history. Many theological thinkers write about this scene in Daniel as really a battle between a courtroom battle. By courtroom, I mean the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And there are the astrologers, the magicians, and all of those On one side, on the other side, there is Daniel. And it's a battle between Daniel and his friends and between uh, the astrologers of that that era and and, and that battle that is taking place. Well, the real battle is this. If If God is in control over history, the real battle is between Yahweh's supremacy, and the pagan gods of Babylon. That's the real battle here. And all the time in Daniel, the point is being made that the battle is between Yahweh and the Lord of creation and the false 
pagan, evil, dark, manipulative, ancient pantheon of gods in Babylon. That is the battle. So there's a problem. And this problem is that the king has had a dream. And he says to his uh, magicians and enchanters and, and all of those from the kind of realm of, of, uh, of wizards and witches and all of that kind of spiritual stuff, he says to them, I've had this dream, tell me the interpretation. King, we cannot tell you. How on earth can we? We need to hear it to tell you. But Nebuchadnezzar is suspicious that they just tell him what he wants to hear. And we know the danger of that with leadership. We know the danger that when we simply are surrounded by yes people, surrounded by people that tell us what we want to hear, there is is not an objectivity. And he wants to know the truth. Is God really with him? Are the gods on his side? Do these astrologers really hear from God? So he wants to know, but he wants them to find out supernaturally. You see, the way that they would find out signs in Babylon is through, first of all, a strange birth. You know, a calf, gives, a, a, a calf is born and it's got two heads from a cow. A strange moment happens with, with a birth, a deformity. They would use that as a sign from the gods. Pretty distasteful business. They would open up a sheep and they would pull out a sheep's liver. And as they would look at a sheep's liver, they would examine it and there they would read the future from the liver. They would look at the stars of astrology and they would contact the dead and they would speak to the stars and contact the dead. All of these things are clearly forbidden in the Torah and forbidden in Scripture. But the one area that isn't forbidden in Scripture is the interpretation of dreams. In fact, dreams play a significant part within the whole kind of canon of Scripture. Right the way through to Joseph, of course, with his dream about Mary. The dreams play a significant part in, in the canon of, of God's speaking and, and revealing. And that's why we see that both Joseph... And also Daniel, God gifted them with the revelation of the gift of dreams. There is this part that is repugnant to God, but there is this part. And he wanted them to explain his dream through supernatural means. So the problem is this. And if they did not explain it, then all the wise men, including the wise men, from Judea would be executed, they would be ripped to pieces, their houses would be destroyed to rubble and that would be the end of that generation of wise men. And so I have had a dream and that troubles me and I want to know what it means. There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. I love that verse. There, no, there is not a man on earth that can do that the king asks. Nobody can do this. Of course, they're wrong. Because a man who has a relationship with Yahweh, a man or a woman that has a relationship with Jesus Christ, a man and a woman who have the living spirit dwelling within their lives are a very different kind of person. And the one thing that they did not understand was that the Spirit of God was with Daniel. And in the same way, the Spirit of God, my dear friends, for whatever problem you face, whatever challenge there is in your life today, the Spirit of God can give you the wisdom and the revelation and the strength to get through that problem. Who among men? knows the thoughts of a man except man's spirit within him. God knows all the thoughts of all of humanity. God is the ruler and he rules over all things. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live amongst men. Now look at that. 
Nobody can reveal it except the gods. And, and, and they do not live amongst men. Now, as you look at that verse, realize something that God does live amongst men. That God is present amongst men. That today when you got up, you had the kingdom of God within you. Today when you got up, you and I could abide with Christ. Today when you got up, you had the treasure of the Lord. When you opened the curtains and saw the beautiful Kelowna blue sky, the dusting of, of snow this morning. I mean, it's typical, isn't it? We're running our first drive-in today service at 10.30. And, and, oh, and it snows. Uh, of course it does. And it's a little dusting of snow. I just take that as a lovely, lovely um, moment. So we've got a, a, a fire outside a pit for the worship team to be around to worship and so on. But you see, does not live amongst men. This is where the pagans get it wrong. Because we know that, that God's spirit lives amongst men. We know that Christ's incarnation, he came to live amongst men. And we know after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit lives with us. This should encourage us. Because if you're facing the problem of sickness this morning, I want to remind you, God is with you. If you're facing a problem with family members who feel you feel like they're toxic and out of control, God is with you. If you're facing the pain of grief, I want to remind you that God is with you. Whatever problem you are facing, he is with you. The Apostle Paul put it this way. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Well, this is the problem. The God come to the wise men. They come to Daniel. They come to Hananiah. They come to Mishael. They come to Azariah. And there in the script, scriptures, you will notice that the Hebrew word is used for their names. I think that's important. They use the Hebrew rather than the Babylonian. It doesn't say they went to Belshazzar. Uh, it says that they went to these young men, Hananiah, etc. Uh, and he says, why, why, why such a harsh decree? And there we notice that Daniel uses wisdom and tact at that moment. And says, I will go and I will seek and I will seek the interpretation of the dream. Very much like Joseph when the dream of Pharaoh came about the years of seven of plenty and seven of famine. See, we've always had problems in the world. It just so happens that the last 20, 30, 50 years have been some of the most stable time in world history after the Great War. But now we're feeling the shaking of the world at this time. And we're feeling the shaking that Christians have felt through 2,000 years, the shifting and moving of all of the problems. So what does Daniel do? Daniel prays. Daniel has been given a death sentence. Is there a moment in your life when at times you felt like you've been given a death sentence? Certainly I know that when I have been with people and minister with people and two people who let's say have suddenly had a, uh, a cancer diagnosis, they feel like they've received a death sentence. They feel like he, Daniel, his friends have received a death sentence. They received this moment. And what, they, what Daniel realizes is that the truth is that the astrologers and the magicians of Babylon are basically spiritually blind. They are trend watchers. They, 
They perceive and they watch. They create the fake news. They do this. But Daniel has been given a situation when it feels like he is in a death sentence. And the only thing to do when you and I face a problem that we feel that we cannot solve ourselves, the only thing to do at that moment is to really pray, friends. It's to really pray. It's to learn what it is to pray. He urged them to plead for mercy. That God of heaven concerning this mystery. He comes to his prayer team. He comes to Hananiah and says, come on, let's pray. He comes um, to, to each one of them and says, come on, let's go for it. Um, Mishael, come on, let's pray together. Azariah, let's pray together. Let's go for it. Come on. Because the only answer, he urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Friends, what we have to learn to do is to keep urgently praying and seeking God. If you've got a major problem within your life, can I encourage you, get the prayer people together. Get people together who really believe in prayer. Come and connect with people that you know who are prayer warriors. Come and connect with the, um, with the pastors and say, I have this problem um, I need the wisdom of God and, and to sit and pray for half an hour, an hour about that problem. Bring prayer into your problems because this is only the power of prayer that can change things. Don't give up praying. Don't give up. Don't let boredom drag you away from prayer. Don't let pride drag you away from prayer. Don't let arrogance Drag you away from prayer. The Apostle Paul knew this. He said, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. We may not rely on ourselves. There is too much relying upon ourselves within the church of Christ. We we pray for 10 minutes, we preach for 10 days and we barely see anybody saved. Whereas on the day of Pentecost, they prayed for 10 days. Peter preached for 10 minutes and 3,000 hearts were turned to Christ. In every area of our life, God is calling us when we face the big problems to not, reply, not rely upon the astrologers and the magicians of Babylon, but to seek the wisdom and the revelation of God within our lives. Join in in the morning devotions. Read the emails that come through. Set time aside to pray into the big problems that you and I face. This is the way of the apostle this is the way of our Lord Jesus Christ who taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus' life was modeling how to pray. His life modeled the rhythm of prayer. His life saw the power of prayer. And here... On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. The prayers of the saints make such a difference. And this first part of chapter 2 finishes with an acknowledgement of praise. Oh, we have to become a people that when God answers prayer, that we become a people that are full of praise. We become a people that are full of thanksgiving. We become a people that are every breath through the day, we remember to give thanksgiving and we remember to give praise to God. And often you know how God has answered so many prayers in your life, but often we forget 
Friends, we forget to lift up the trumpets and to sound them, to lift our hearts up and to praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I've often said, if you've only got 15 minutes to pray, you praise God for 12 minutes and then the last three minutes, you bring your requests and your needs to God and you will see the difference it happens that takes place within your life. Daniel praises, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and the light dwells within him. He praises God Because of God's great power. He praises God because God answers him. He praises God because God gives him wisdom. He praises God because God is in control over history. He praises God because God knows all things. He praises God the power because of God's great power. He changes times and seasons. He sets up the kings and deposes them. We are true aliens in this land. We are on a journey towards eternal life. We have been given the gift of salvation through the work of the cross. And that God is Lord over history and time. And at the most important moment in history and time, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Saviour, our Lord, came. And he was nailed to the cross for the sins of humanity. He was the ultimate gift of God who died upon the cross and he gave his life. So that we may have this relationship You see, the astrologers had no relationship with God because they believed that the gods do not walk amongst men. They had no wisdom. They had no revelation. They had no relationship. This morning, when you face a problem, Daniel teaches us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Daniel teaches us, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Seek God today. Daniel teaches us the sublime and the beauty and the power of prayer. Daniel teaches us the response of the glory of praise of who God is, that we should be a people of praise, a people of glory because of what God has given to us through the work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that I was once lost. I was once like those wizards, those astrologers. I was once lost in darkness, looking at the nonsense of sheep livers, looking at the nonsense of deformity in births, looking at the nonsense in the world, but I have received the light. The light has come into my life and the light has changed me. And so his power, his authority, he sets up kings and deposes them. He is a controller of history. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities exist, have been established by God. Today, the great emperors and kings of this world are only there because God put them there. We may not like them. We may not enjoy certain things. But God is in charge of history and God is in control. Next week, I will be continue to talk about the wisdom of our God. And I will interpret as best I can the statue and the dream and what this means and uh, try and understand some of the eschatology, apocalyptic literature and how apocalyptic literature really forms, again, the heart of Daniel. And so we'll 
dip our toe into apocalyptic literature and all the times of the glorious images. Daniel is unique in apocalyptic literature, as is the book of Revelation. And they are two very unique books. So we've got that to look forward to. Father, thank you for the wisdom of God and the power of Christ. Thank you for this week's prayer a week. Thank you that we gather together as a church. And for everyone who has a problem, I pray, Lord, that you will bless them with a revelation that God is powerful in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, uh, Marriage Alpha is coming uh, online. Uh, Michelle and I are leading a group on Tuesday at 7.45. So if you're connected to Highway 33 campus as your campus pastor uh, and wife, come and join us if you can and get involved in that. Uh, the other campus pastors at certain times, contact your campus pastor so you can chat. And, and of course, Arnie and Louise Peters are leading and uh, Laura... Uh, and Lyndon Thomas are leading a group, and um, Steve Parsons and Lisa are leading a group. What a, a bouquet of wonderful people that are involved in Marriage Alpha. Uh, last time we looked with 120 couples. Amazing, amazing. What a blessing. Anyway, uh, be blessed. See you tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., for prayer. Keep reading the devotions, keep connected, keep praying. I hope this has inspired you to get involved in prayer. God bless.